Thanks. You may be seated. Well, I hope that your Christmas was fantastic and your New Year's will be just as wonderful. Looking forward to bringing it together um, over the next few days and, and weeks. I was recently reading a study that George Barna had put out. It was the State of the Bible 2017. And in it, I found some encouragement uh, about the state of affairs with America and the Bible and found this quote uh, from Barna in his research results. He says, Americans are searching for beacons of hope and moral grounding amidst uncertainty and perceived moral decline. The results of Barna's study actually revealed that Americans overwhelming believe that the Bible is a source of hope and good, especially when we are expressing the moral concerns of our nation. With so much shakeup that has gone on in the world, particularly in the West, it's essential for us as the Church of Jesus Christ to have a grand moral grounding. For morality in culture is quaking, it is moving, but the reality is for us, our grounding, moral grounding stands right here on God and His Word. It's unchanging. The seasons vary as God has given them rhythm, but His Word never changes. How important it is for us as a church family to have our groundings here. The majority of Americans actually understand the significance of this word. In fact, what they say is nearly 6 out of 10 that they wish they were engaged in God's word, reading it more than they are now. 6 out of 10. So I want you and me to know that there is hope today. There's hope for the culture that recognizes that Moral standing is in God's word and more grounding is there and that they have a hunger to read it and engage it. May we as a church be that word for them, delivering it orally and living it expressly in our lives. When you think about the crises that are facing the world even now, ISIS and other terrorist organizations, the provoking uh, Russians, the volatility of the Middle East and North Korea, and so much more, it's essential that the church find its grounding and let people know where that grounding is. In an unrestful world, it's important that we be grounded in the Prince of Peace, that we know the Sovereign who is ruler over all, that we can stand in Him and He in us. As a culture, our world is fractured and divided. It is essentially breaking apart. But yet as Christians, we are meant to be one body unified together. May the church rally to that call. It's imperative that you and I purposefully practice reconciliation. That God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. He has empowered us to be reconcilers. And in the world that is fractured with divisiveness, may we be the ones as a beacon of hope that there is reconciliation possible. We have one of the greatest opportunities, I believe, today to make the most impact in the world. Many people are troubled by the rhetoric that is divisive. They're discouraged with the brokenness of our society, and they are scarred in many ways by relational wounds. Some people long to make a difference, but they just don't know how to about, go about making that difference, that impact. 
And there is a hope that is given to us in Christ that we can make a difference, that we can help others make a difference. I pray that we would, as a church, recognize the great opportunities that God has extended to us and openly rest in Jesus Christ, live and model unity and love and purpose to live righteously before all people, God and others, to engage people in the brokenness of the world with the healing touch of Christ Jesus and the power of his word that brings transformation to people. And I pray that Meadowbrook would be the church that would seize the moment, that we would recognize this as an opportunity and seize it. I shouldn't make mention that Christians who are discouraged with the brokenness of the world really are not so apt to bring change. But it's those who find hope in the midst of brokenness that will find the apt to um, really influence the world with what they have experienced themselves, shine brightly in the midst of darkness and bring righteousness in an unrighteous world and flavor of Christ into a distasteful world. I have some prayers that I've written down that I've begun to pray for 2018. Could I just share a few of them with you? You're probably praying the same thing. Number one, I pray that 2018 will be the year of renewal for people of faith, that there will be a renewed life in Christ. I pray that we would be purposefully strong in body and spirit. That doesn't just happen. You have to be purposeful about being strong in body and spirit and in doing so, may we make the greatest impact in the world for the kingdom of God. I pray that we would be decisively different than the culture of people around us, that we would reveal to them the word of God, living in the word, the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ would be strong and his relationship with us would be evident in us. I pray that we would rally ourselves in the name of Jesus Christ to righteously live before people with intentionality before God and others. I'm praying that we would receive the fullness of God's love in such measure that it would cascade from our heart, which has been filled with his love, to other people. I'm praying that we would purposefully speak truth into people more than we point out the lies in them. I'm praying that we would be more generous, more hospitable, and more gracious than ever before. So living in that kind of way, a purposeful way, for the glory of Jesus Christ, influencing others for the newness of Christ that can be in their life, experiencing that newness requires that you and I would understand and live for the glory of Jesus. It's going to have to go beyond us. We're going to have to focus beyond us and ministry and lives, and we're going to have to focus on Christ Jesus and his glory. I would say that you and I, to have the most bountiful days in ministry today, have to get our focus on the first day in heaven. If you want to have strong influence today, you better be viewing heaven and the first day of heaven. Because what happens on that day is contingent upon what happens these days. People who enter into a marathon have to go through a sizable amount of training. I wasn't planning to share this, but Hayden and Madison are right on the front row. We were in conversation last night because they're readying themselves for a marathon, a half marathon with Disney. And they were sort of talking this thing up like it's, um, it's a cool thing to do. Dad, you can have destination runnings. I'm like, I don't understand what destination running is. Well, you get to run in various places in the world, and the destination is cool to see. I said, I got a better idea. 
How about we do the destination and don't do the running? <laughs> That's where I am. But they're in a training pattern right now for this that's coming up in a few months and sort of thinking about what they're supposed to be eating and their watch reminds them about goals that they've established to prepare for that kind of running. I'm really not interested. I'm just not up for it. If you're a genuine runner, though, that sort of lights your fire. You sort of... Already you're getting in the hankering. Just close this message out, Gunner, so I can start running. I get that. If that's who you are, your thinking is far different than my thinking. You're thinking about the finish line. I'm thinking, would I even make it to the finish line? You're thinking about crossing it. I'm thinking about applauding you as you do it. You're having to think about all kinds of visions of you crossing the line when you go through fatigue and when you go through tiredness and the aches and the pains you're thinking about crossing that line and when you get along the way where your fatigue starts to settle in and you're wondering in your mind are you going to finish is it worth it that inner dialogue starts cranking up you put your sight back on that finish line and you're you're moving towards that and as you round the halfway point and you kind of get that in your mind that you're over halfway there, you'll charge forward even through the aches and the pains and the inner dialogue will silence. You'll see things differently. The finish line fosters for you motivation. It fosters for you great movement towards that. It's the same way spiritually. God uses an illustration of being in a race when he is encouraging us to run spiritually. And if you're not careful, you'll deal spiritually with some of the thing, things that I deal with in physical running. You'll let the inner dialogue crank up. And you'll wonder in the inner dialogue, is it worth it? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the isolation? Is it worth continuing to try to bear forth the light of Christ in such dark experiences around you? Is it making any impact? Is it worth being called a spiritual weirdo to continue on this journey, this race towards the finish line who is Jesus Christ? You'll wonder if the suffering is worth it. You'll wonder if the discipline is worth it. You'll, you'll wonder all those things as long as that inner dialogue is cranked up. I did run in high school. I was a long-distance runner, supposedly, which meant a couple of miles back then. and I was very much not good at it. Uh, I remember one time, you know, the inner dialogue cranks up about a quarter of a mile in. My, my side is starting to hurt already. And my shins will start burning, and I'm out of breath. My lungs are feeling ablaze. And that inner dialogue is just going, just saying you know, you don't have to do this. This is, this is misery. Why are you? Just, just drop. I remember one time, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. I remember one time my sister was running the inner part of the track, just trying to encourage. You, you maybe have seen some people do that. Come on, you can go, you can go. You know what she was saying to me? You don't have to finish. <laughs> Honest Lord's my witness. Well, I shut up. I'm already saying those same things to myself. Is it not that way spiritually? This is tough. This race is tough. 
And the inner dialogue with the lies and the deceit of the enemy is tough. He will say things to you and somehow make you think you're the one thinking it. You're the one saying it. He's a master at that. For you and me to run well in 2018 or the last day of 2017, we're going to have to have our sight set on the finish line and know that it's worth it to cross that finish line and receive the fulfillment of our salvation, the glorification that will be ours in Jesus Christ and the rewards that will be ours based on what we're doing today in the race, that it's going to be worth it. Any pain, any suffering, any endurance, any discomfort, any isolation is worth it for all eternity to be rewarded and for Christ to be glorified Who alone can give you the power to run with such endurance the race to victory? This is a reoccurring theme throughout the scripture. In fact, you see it in places like Philippians. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. What do you think he's he's saying? Where is he going there? He's saying, I'm pressing to the prize And what is the prize? It's this upward call of salvation in us. And who provides it for us? God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, I am enduring and running towards this. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm running to be a life group leader, or I'm running to have the greatest influence I can have, or I'm running to save uh, so-and-so with the gospel good news, or, or I'm running to open hands or way of the cross. And I get that. Those are activities that you're doing. But my friends, you're running to Jesus. You're running to Him. So press to Him. If you press to Him, you'll do the greatest as a life group leader. You'll do the greatest at open hands and way of the cross. You'll do the greatest in sharing the gospel if you're running to Jesus. Don't be distracted. Run to Jesus. Here's another out of 1 Corinthians. He says it this way. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now he's saying the same thing. Run in the race. If you're in the race, run that you may obtain the prize. Run knowing that the prize is at the other side of the finish line. And here's another. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, Bible scholars might differ on this. I believe the cloud of witnesses are those who have faithfully run throughout history unto God. And they have finished triumphantly this race. And they have crossed the finish line. And they're there with God in heaven. And I believe that they are the witnesses seeing God's great grace outflowing to us. And in a way, championing us with God's grace to run. So, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter, or as the King James says, the author and the finisher of our faith. So there's a lot going on in that section of scripture and I'd like to just take it and sort of break it apart and just make some mention along the way if you'll allow me to 
It's an amazing concept, isn't it, that throughout the scripture you find a redundancy about running this race and moving towards the prize, the finish line, and what's available at the finish line. It's not just a New Testament expression or pattern. In fact, if you go to some of the people that you think about the most in the scripture, you'll find a pattern like this. Noah, who was told by God that there was an impending judgment coming. Upon all living creatures, God would destroy them. That judgment was pronounced, and it did not happen for 12 decades. 120 years. Bible scholars think that Noah probably worked on the ark for 40 to 50 years. You might say, how do you work on building an ark, a ship, if you will, in a place that is not with water, in a world that has never seen a drop of rain? How does one do that? How does one have enough faith to do that, to run that kind of race well? And the answer is, he heard the prize. And the prize is, when my judgment comes, you and your family, by faith, can be saved by entering into that ark. And so when everybody else is jeering and cursing and everybody's laughing and taunting and everybody else is questioning him, Noah keeps on keeping on because he had the prize. He had the end in sight. We could show the same with Abraham, couldn't we? God came to Abram at the time and told him, I want to make a covenant with you. And I will bless you and your descendants. And by you and your descendants, the whole world, all the nations will be blessed. Now that came to a man who had no descendants. God is going to bless his descendants when he has none and he's 75 years old? How did he remain faithful for the next 25 years, believing and trusting that God would provide a son? He focused on the finish He focused on the covenant that he made and that the Messiah would be born. And he held true to his faith all along the way. It's a pattern, isn't it, that God gives the word and we make that word the finish. It is, and we move towards that. The same could be said of Joshua and Caleb, who remained faithful for four decades as the people were moving through the wilderness. And I'm talking about the people of of Israel who were rebellious and backbiters and malicious gossips who constantly question the leadership and constantly question the motives, wondering if they're in the right direction. Should we just circle back and go into slavery? Wouldn't that be better than to die in the wilderness? But not Joshua and Caleb. They stayed the course. They stayed the course because they believed there was a finish line. They believed that there was a victory to come. And you know what that victory was? Going into the promised land, which would be flowing with milk and honey, which means abundance from God, and God's presence would be there. When everybody else had their sight set on stuff that was different, Joshua and Caleb had their sight set on the finish, that God would do what he said he was going to do. I could go on and on, Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna, who were all told that God would provide a Messiah. It was the end of the old covenant and the beginning of the new, and all of them were found faithful when Christ came. How were they so faithful and others were not? They trusted in God that he would bring about what he said he would bring about. 
The disciples were instructed by Jesus as he was being ascended right before in conversation. He said to them, go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them in my name. But wait, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised one, the spirit from on high in which power would come. Now they had heard the champion of Jesus to make disciples. They watched the awesome miracle of him leave this place and go into heaven. And yet they waited for 50 days until the finish, the promise came. And he came with power, enabling them to do what they were called to do. He said, well, Randy, I get that. 40 years, 40 or 50 years, 120 years. Randy, we're talking 2,000 years since Christ has come. How do we remain faithful in the spiritual journey? How do we run with the finish line in mind when the race has been so stinking long? (laughs) The same way Abraham and his descendants did. They too had to wait 2,000 years before the Messiah was born. So we're tracking as God has tracked historically. The question is not if he's coming. The question is, are we watching for his coming? Are we moving to that finish line? Are we being intentional? Are we being purposeful? Are we exercising spiritually and physically so that we might be well in this race, so that we can run with endurance and cross that line into the arms of Jesus where he will reward us, not just with the glorification of our salvation, but with eternal rewards? Let's go back to Hebrews 12. I want to break this thing apart a little bit and share along the way. Here's the thing that I think we ought to be considering in this race. Number one, prepare yourself for victory. Prepare yourself for victorious living so that you and I might have the greatest impact in the lives of other people. And the way the writer of Hebrews says it is, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So there's, a, there's an intentionality, a purposefulness to this that I'm going to lay aside every weight. I don't know, this is probably a way too broad a generalization, but typically I don't see a lot of fat people running marathons. It's because it's too much weight to carry. It's difficult for a skinny guy It's way more difficult for a guy that's 70, 80 pounds overweight. It's weight that they don't have to carry. You say, well, you sound so demeaning. Not meaning to be. But that's just common sense. That if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to see what weight can I get off. Now, if you're going to run spiritually, you're going to have to see what weight you need to get off. What weight you need to lay aside. Because there's some things that are weighting you down and you're having to work against them or it's distracting you from the race you're you're gonna have to lay that weight aside and there are some things that will trip you up it's what the Hebrew writer says the sin that ensnares you look at a couple of other translations and I think you'll get the essence of this word about weight from its original language which means bulk or mass It's often translated as burdensomeness or weightedness in life. Here's what the Amplified says. Stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. 
or the New Living says, strip off every weight that slows us down and the sin that trips us up. You, you can understand what he's saying there in a physical way, express that spiritually in your life. For those of us who have been called by Christ unto salvation, our salvation rests totally in Jesus Christ. He has begun our salvation, he is sustaining our salvation, and he will complete our salvation, as Philippians says. But there are parts of us, the old flesh which we were born in, that are heavy. We seem to circle back to those things. Or there's parts of our culture that if we engage in them, it is heaviness in this spiritual race that we're in, in this working towards the finish line. So we have a tendency to hold on to that extra weight while we try to journey on this race in in Christ. And what he's saying is, get rid of that weight. Get rid of that. Get rid of anything in your life that trips you up. Have you thought about the weight in your life? Of course you have. It's almost the first day of the year and everybody thinks about their weight. I'm not talking about physical weight. I'm talking about other weight outside your physical body. Oh, that, that may have something to do with it. Have you thought about the weightedness, the burdensomeness, the heaviness in your life that keeps you from actively running and engaging successfully on this spiritual race? Have you thought about that lately? What are the weights in your life? They could be innocent. They could be not sinful. They could be what everybody is doing, but yet it's weighted on your journey in this race spiritually. It keeps you from having the greatest impact on the world. Have you thought about those kind of weights that might divert your attention from the race and certainly divert you from the conclusion of the race into Christ, causing you to be less effective in the kingdom of God? I want to give you some examples of things that may be weightedness that you might want to consider First of all, a weight in our life in this race, spiritual race, is anything that we love more than we love God. That's a weight. In fact, Jesus said it about as matter-of-factly as you can have, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, love the other, or be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't have both God and money, he's saying at the same time. You can't serve them both. You're going to have to choose to love one, because if you try to love two, one's going to weight you down. So is there anything in your life that you love above that of God? That is a weight. And what he's saying is lay that aside. Dedicate yourself to the love of God. Secondly, a weight could be discouragement. It could be I'm not capable of running this race. You know, I told you when I was a kid and running on track, uh, I was constantly hearing this discouraging voice in me. And some of it had to do with the fact that I wasn't very good, wasn't very talented, wasn't physically fit enough for it. Maybe that's you spiritually. Maybe you hear, he's not talking about you. He's talking about other people who can run the race. He's talking about people who can actually spiritually win. He's not talking about you now. He's not talking about you because you don't have the gifts, the talents, the abilities that other people have. Let them do the race. You just kind of hang out. He's not talking about you. Or maybe you're thinking, I'll never be able to run the race like you're talking about, Randy. I'll never be able to have great impact in the world like that. That's for other people. That discouragement is a weight. 
and it's meant to divert you, it's meant to drag you down. Have you thought about that? Now there are times that I have victory in that, victory over that voice that is calling out to me and trying to bring discouragement in my life. You know how I I bring the victory about? I point out the lie and I hold up the truth, the truth that is mine in Christ Jesus, revealed in his word. There are some times that that voice will speak to me and I have to say, yeah, I get that, but here's what I know. Sometimes the inner dialogue is so loud that I can't exchange in victory over it without being audible. Now, I know that makes me sound like a weirdo, but I'm just telling you, sometimes the inner dialogue needs a voice louder. And you know what I do? I'll proclaim out loud verses like this. Now to him who is able to do for me abundantly more than we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generation, all generations forever and ever. Let it be. Amen. So there's times that, that that comes out. Sometimes I just agree with the voice. You're doggone right, and it's a good thing I'm in Christ Jesus because he can do it even when I can't. Well, no, I don't believe that because here's what I know. God makes me victorious in Christ Jesus. He shares his victory with me. Here's what I know, standing before Christ, he sees nothing but the righteousness of Jesus. Here's what I know, God doesn't hold my sin against me, he's already put them on his son and poured out all of his wrath and judgment against him. What he has for me is treasure and love. It's the discouragement of weightedness in your life. Then come back to truth. Well, I don't feel, feelings are not necessarily true. Sometimes we might be watching something on the movie screen or television and Kay's a little bit more riled easily than I and I have to just sort of pat her every now and then and say, this is not real. Isn't it funny how our emotions can be stirred up even with that which is not real? Man, is it ever that way in life too? Sometimes you just have to step back in that moment, take that weight off and say, Lord, I don't know what's real. This is what I feel. Let me find my rest and peace in Jesus now. The weight could be satisfaction or comfort in this world. Comfort can easily lead to apathy. I just need to be reminded as well as you that there is little comfort in a race. It's pretty stinking miserable. Very little comfort because it's hard work, it's enduring, it's exhaustion. But you do that because you know that comfort comes on the other side. Comfort comes at the end of the finish line when you're over the line. And then the party begins. If you're in a half marathon or a marathon, the party begins because you finished and crossed the line. And you celebrate. I need to just remind us every now and then that you and I are on the race right now. We are in the race. It's not time for comfort. It's not time for security. It's not time for safety. It's time for us to run hard. It's time for us to not be concerned about all those creature comforts. That's going to come later on the other side. This is a time for tolesomeness. 
This is a time of being exhausted in the kingdom of God. You say, well, Randy, I don't know that I, I want to sign up for all that. Oh, you work through all of that exhaustion because you know the rest of eternity is comfort. In fact, Paul was writing to a young preacher that he had been leading up and guiding. And he said to him, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. For to this end we toil and strive. Could I just remind you that Paul is advanced in age and he's saying to this young preacher, hey, Timothy, at your age and at my age, we have one thing in common and that is we toil and we strive. And we're toiling and striving because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. What he is saying to him is keep on. When you're tired, keep on. When you want to quit, keep on. Go through the toil. Go through the exhaustion. This is not a playground where we're just lollygagging around. This is a race that is unto Christ Jesus. Keep going. Keep going. If you want to have the greatest impact and you want to have the greatest reward, keep going. And where you bought into this idea of comfort and satisfaction with this world, put that weight aside and keep going. Listen, this is a, an insecure world. This place is not safe. And dependent where you are, if you're a Christian, it escalates against you. Paul would say to us, keep going, keep running, run right through the danger, keep running to Jesus. Don't be distorted, don't be distracted, don't go off pace by vision, envisioning comfort and satisfaction today, keep running. The weight could be anything that causes you to lose focus and finish on the finish line in the prize, which is Jesus and his reward now, I'm not suggesting that any of these are your weightedness, but they might be. Maybe it's TV or possessions or family, friends, or maybe it's your self-image. Maybe it's sports for you, or as I mentioned, safety and security. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's alcohol, whatever. None of those things in and of themselves are evil. None of those things are sinful, but they can be weights. And if there are weights that are dragging you down in this race of endurance, then I say lay them aside. During the 40 days renewal campaign, we're going to practice that. We're going to lay aside some things. Now listen, there's a rhythm. We'll talk about it. There's a rhythm of taking things off and putting them on. You don't just take off sin and, and walk on. You take off sin and put on righteousness. You take off the old man and you put on the new man in Christ Jesus. There's a rhythm to this. We'll talk about that more in the 40 days. But what we're going to learn to do is take certain things off. Some of them are food. Now let me just say, some of the foods that we're taking off have already been blessed by Jesus Christ. So this isn't about... Oh, if I abstain and I don't eat certain foods, that God's going to be more pleased with me. Are you kidding me? God's as pleased with you in Christ Jesus as you'll ever get. You won't earn God, God's love in any measure more than you already have it in Christ Jesus. He fully loves you, and you are fully 
um, engaged in life by him, by your faith. So you're not going to gain something spiritually uh, when it comes to your relationship with God, but you will gain spiritually. When you put some things off and some foods that you're going to push aside for a while, there is a physical lesson in that that moves into the spiritual realm. So we're going to do without some things. I don't mind telling you, my name is Randy Gunner, and I am an addict to Santo Domingo coffee. I want 20 ounces of it every single morning. And I get it. But on January the 8th, I won't. So why would you do that to yourself? Because I need the physical lesson to press in spiritually to the strength of Jesus Christ. I need the physical lesson to press into the things of the Spirit and believe that He will give me His mind and His ways and His purpose. So I'm going to engage in that. There's some foods that I've never tried before. Some of them I can't even pronounce when I see them on paper. Some of them only people who are 30 years old and younger eat. But we're going to try them, and we're going to engage them. And at the same time, I'm going to recognize there might be some spiritual disciplines that I've never tried before that are modeled in the Scripture that I want to embrace. The 40 days is going to be about exercising for the journey, for the race. I want to be on the other side more fit spiritually and more fit physically. On the other side and through the process, I want to pray with all power that availeth the righteous man. At the end of 40 days, I want to have greater insights to the Scripture. You say, well, how can that be just by going through a 40 days fasting period or 40 days of praying three times a day, reading God's word three times a day, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to him three times a day? How can that be? How can it not be? I'm engaging throughout the day in the things of God. I'm praying throughout the day. I'm reading throughout the day. I'm praising throughout the day. How could I not be more powerful in my praying? How could I not be more insightful with the Scripture as the Spirit would give me guidance to it? How could it not be illuminated? How could my ministry not excel? How could I not have greater uh, witness to other people around me? How could it not be? That was the life of Daniel. He was intentional. Intentional to the finish line, that he would one day be before his creator. And although he was exiled in Babylon, he determined to live with his intention on Christ, who he would run across the line to. So no matter what other people were doing, he remained in his place to eat what God instructed him to eat. And no matter what laws were given, he prayed three times a day in Babylon, pointing towards Jerusalem to his God No matter what other people were saying, he sought the word of God throughout the day, and he praised God. And that's the rhythm that we're going to do for 40 days. I hope that you'll do it all with it. So I'm not sure I can eat like that for 40 days, shoot for 10. That's what Daniel told the chief who was in charge of him. Let me try this with you for 10 days, and you look at me. You check my intellect. You determine if this is the better way. And 
not only at the end of 10 days, at the end of the three-year period, it was proven to be true. He had dedicated himself to the things of God, and God blessed him. I want to invite you to join me on that. With the handout today is the 40-day renewal guide. It's a multi-page guide for you. It's some of what you can find at 40daysrenewal.com. But I just want to mention a couple of things to you as you have it in your hand now. Uh, the first page is just some introduction to what the renewal is all about and why are we doing it. And the next is uh, January 1st, just following through with some scripture. And you say, well, Randy, I thought that thing, this thing started on January the 8th. It does. But Meadowbrook for many years has been doing a full year reading plan. And if you're involved in that reading plan, it begins on January 1. If you're going to be in a D group, it's the same reading plan. If you're in 40 days, it's the same reading plan. If you're the 365er, it's in the reading plan. We're all following the same scripture. So tomorrow, in anticipation for what God is going to do, why don't you start with us? And we'll read collectively Proverbs 1. And the next day, we'll go to Proverbs 3. And the next day, to another passage, and the next day. And then when you turn the page, you'll see on the 8th day of January, day 1 of 40 days, we'll have three passages, one in the morning, one at noon, and one at night. You say, well, I'm kind of a busy guy. I don't know that I'm going to be able to remember that. How about you texting renewal, the word renewal, to this number. It's in your handout, too. 256-414-9113. Text the word renewal to 256-414-9113. And we will then send you reminders, 7 a.m., noon, and 7 p.m., with a verse to read or a passage to read. It'll be a prompting for you to pray, and it will be an opportunity for you to praise. For 40 days, we'll do that straight. Let's do that together. Let's do that. Let's take some things off and let's put some things on. And as Hebrews would say, let's set our mind on the race. Let us set our mind on the race. Let's run. Now notice he's using the plural, us. This works better together. Let's do it together. I'm going to do well on the 40 days. Not because I'm determined, but because Kay's going to do it with me. And together we will be doing 40 days. And it's not just you and your spouse or your family. It could be your friends, it could be your life group, it could be your D groups, whatever it is. Do it together with people. I need to remind you that there are other people outside of the walls of this church who want to engage this way. Six out of ten say, I wish I read the Bible more. More Americans say the Bible values is where we need to be as a nation. Why don't we engage them and say, I'm working towards better health in my physical and spiritual being. Join me. Let's do it together. Invite them. Tell them to text renewal to the number. Give them one of the guides. Tell them to go online, 40daysrenewal.com. Let us set our mind. And let us run this race with endurance, not just New Year's resolution. This isn't like, I don't know, Saturday after the New Year's resolution. I'm done with it. This is more than that. This is an empowered vision of the Spirit of God. The same spirit that resurrected Christ from the grave is in you. You move in the journey, this spiritual race with the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can do so with endurance. And together with your faith family, you'll do well. Will there be times of tripping and stumbling? Sure. Will there be time that the hot now will be on? Yes. Will you be tempted? Probably. Will you fall? 
more than likely. But you'll be better together when you walk the 40-day journey. Understand that the race is God's purposefulness for you. It's your calling that he's given to you. He says, let us run with endurance the race that was set before us. This isn't something new. This race was set a long time ago, before the world was even put into order. God already prescribed this race. In fact, he shaped you for the purpose of the race that you're in. The talents, the abilities, the interests, the skills, everything that you have, including the Spirit of God making himself known through you, is all for the purpose of the race. So run it. Run it with endurance. Run it with endurance together. Run it with endurance together because you know God has put it together. Keep your focus on Jesus. He says, looking unto Jesus, this founder and perfecter, you're going to learn to do that throughout the 40 days. Those texts are going to be annoying every now and then. You're going to say, Ugh, it's Saturday at 7 a.m. They're texting me. Oh, but we're learning to keep our focus on Jesus. 7 p.m., what are they doing texting me at 7 p.m.? Because we're learning to put our focus on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You'll be more inclined to think about him and pray and praise and trust him. Trust him that he is the finisher. Just trust him that you're going to cross that line one day. Trust him. I preached uh, Hebrews 12 many times. I typically preach verse 1 and 2, but I could not go past 12 and 13 because the visual was so pronounced. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weakened knees. <laughs> that took me back to my high school days. Just running, recognizing that your arms are heavy, your legs are shot. So you just run it, droopy arms, weak knees. I can visualize me there. I see myself there. And now the writer says, Randy, lift your hands. Strengthen your knees. Don't become lame in this thing. I know it's tiresome. I know it's exhausting. I know you want to quit. Don't quit. Keep your focus. Strengthen your hands, strengthen your knees. Don't become lame. Don't be put out of joint. Experience the power and the healing of God. Some of you have been running a long time. You've been trying to make an impact in your family and your friends and your neighbors and just doesn't seem to be working. You've been running and your arms are heavy and you're like, my family is still collapsing, it's crumbling. You've been wondering, am I making any impact at all? Is this any, of it any good? Am I making any kind of eternal significance in my life? Here's what God says. Raise your hands. Strengthen your knees. Don't you become lame in this. Keep going. Discover the healing of Jesus today and run. Say, God, I'm 80 years old. Don't you become lame when we need your wisdom and experience. Keep running. You say, well, I don't know. I don't have enough experience. This isn't about your experience. This is about God doing something in you. Keep going. Keep going. So for 40 days, we're going to be through some training. We're going to go through some training physically and spiritually. I want you to journey together with us. 
I'll run harder, faster, longer with you beside me and you with me beside you. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Maybe in this room, Lord, you're speaking to people that you have a race for them and you've given them the measure by which they can run it well. Every person in this room. So, Father, I'm praying that you're speaking truth into them. That your voice would be louder than the voice of the enemy who is the father of lies. That we would be intentional and purposeful as we run to Jesus the founder and the perfecter, and we would be willing to cast off any weight that would slow us down and any sin that clings to trip us and that we would do it in the power of Jesus. So, Lord, do your work like only you can in this moment, I pray. In the name of Jesus and for his glory, amen.